Have you ever said, I don't have a prayer? I don't have a prayer. Ever been in water so deep, a night so dark, that you in more than a facetious way were saying, I'm sunk. I don't have a prayer. Well, you don't have a prayer. I don't have a prayer. None of us has a prayer unless we're praying to a God of grace, of mercy, and of love. If we're not praying to a God of grace, the God of mercy, and the God of love, we're wasting our breath. It's hopeless. If God is an unloving judge, an unforgiving judge, we're sunk. We don't have a prayer. We know that there are people in the world sometimes called pagans who worship a God made of stone. Such people should really be designated as the unreached people of the world. But whatever their title, they're praying to a God made of stone. Fortunately, from what I sometimes hear on radio, Christian radio, sometimes hear on Christian television, read in Christian literature. There are thousands of people in America who do not worship a God made of stone, but who worship a God whose heart is made of stone. Judgmental, angry, bitter, vindictive, No love, no grace, no mercy. I have a number of Bibles, as you can imagine, and some I've had for years, way back to study times in college and seminary and study years beyond. And I took one out this past week looking for something in there and came across some words I had written in the margin of the Bible. I don't know where they came from. I don't know who first said them. I don't give myself credit for them. I don't think I wrote it down. If I did, I've forgotten it. But I've forgotten a lot of things that I've written down. But nevertheless, uh, I don't know where it came from, but it just jumped off the page. And it's something that I want you to write on the page of your mind as I have on mine. Grace is receiving what we do not deserve. Grace is receiving what we do not deserve. Mercy is not receiving what we do deserve. Now that's worth writing down. Grace is receiving what we do not deserve. 
Mercy is not receiving what we do deserve. God is a God of grace and of mercy. And so are his people to be. Way back in the Old Testament book of Micah, what does the Lord require of thee? But to do justice, do justice, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Without the spirit of this God of love, this God of grace, this God of mercy, without his spirit, we don't even know how to pray. We're helpless. We're helpless. In fact, as Hallisby says, that Scandinavian writer who wrote a marvelous book just entitled Prayer, I don't even think it's in print anymore, I hope it is. But in that book, which I read nearly 50 years ago, a profound truth gripped my mind when I read it from the pages of this man's book. He said the most efficient, effective prayer any of us will ever pray is the prayer of utter helplessness. Utter helplessness. When you don't have a prayer. And he uses the example, I think he does, or I've added to it the example of a parent. Every parent understands the time. Your children are playing. If you have more than one child, they get into little arguments and they start whining and they start complaining. And you know that there's nothing real serious going on. They just, they need a nap or they're just arguing with each other and they're whining away. What do you do? You don't pay much attention except every now and then you'll say, straighten up. Or I'm going to put you in time out or whatever. My mother and dad never knew time out. I, I, I got along, you came along too late for that, man, a man. But uh, you know the difference though, when that child is really, you know, really hurt, when they're just sort of whining away and nitpicking at each other, you don't pay any attention much. You just kind of say, quit it. But when you hear a cry of desperation, and you can tell it by the tone of their voice. You'll run through fire to get to them. Well, let's face it. A lot of our prayers are just complaining, mumbling. And God just says, get over it. <laughs> Come on. But when we're in desperate straits, When we're in the pit with David, he shows up quicker than the blinking of your eye. And he'll show up with his spirit to teach us how to pray. The spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ. Their spirit, the Holy Spirit, is a spirit of love, a spirit of grace, a spirit of mercy. Now, this Holy Spirit, this spiritual representation of God in our lives will teach us how to pray. And Paul tells us this in the eighth chapter of Romans, 26th verse. Listen to what he writes. In the same way, the Spirit 
the spirit of love, the spirit of grace, the spirit of mercy. The spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. We don't know how to pray. We don't know what to pray for. But the spirit, the spirit of God himself intercedes for us. Listen to this. God's spirit is not only praying for us and praying with us, he's praying through us. And sometimes we can't even put it into words. And that's what Paul says here. Intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Have there not been times in your life when you just couldn't find words? It was merely maybe a three-word prayer. And that's what I want to talk about for just a moment. Some people who are just ordinary folks like you and I, very ordinary, not saints, not super people, just ordinary people like you and I who prayed some three-word prayers that changed their darkness to light, who changed, changed their midnights to noonday, who changed their sighs into a song. And the first one is Peter. He was in the boat and he saw Jesus walking on the water. And he said, can I come walk to you? And Jesus said, sure, come on. He got out of the boat and he started to walk. He was walking on faith. He was looking at the Lord. I mean, it was marvelous. It was ecstatic. And then he got out there and suddenly he began to see the waves. And he began to hear the sounds of it. And he felt the wind blowing. And he started to go under. And what did he pray? Three words. Lord, save me. And Jesus reached out and took him by the hand. He gave him a hand. Put him back up, and hand in hand, they walked back to the boat together. Now that happens, I think, in varying degrees to every person who becomes a Christian. You get out of the boat of unbelief, you put your faith and trust in the Lord, and things just seem to be going wonderfully, and they are, and then suddenly temptation comes, trouble comes, Strife comes of one kind or another, and we begin to take our eyes off the Lord. We get busy doing other things of secondary importance, and we begin to go under what happens to us. We need to pray that prayer. We can pray it any day, any time, any moment, any second. Lord, save me, and his hand will be there to hold us. Never leaving us, he says. Never forsaking us. Lord, save me. Maybe you need to pray that prayer this morning. Maybe you've never asked him to save you from your sin. Say it today. Lord, save me. He will. Maybe you're in the depths of depression. Lord, save me. He'll reach out a hand. His hand may be the hand of a counselor, a friend, a book, a circumstance, the voice of a child, a sunrise. I don't know how it will come but he'll be there. Lord, save me. Save me from the habits that are destroying my life. He will deliver you. He'll lift you up. Save me for the tendency to be angry or jealous or covetous. Save me. He'll save you. Just ask him. Just ask him. Stand with me now at the foot of the cross and listen to a thief. 
who probably met Jesus for the first time in his life when he was hanging on a cross beside him. That man did not know as much about Jesus as the youngest child in this room knows. And yet he knew there was something different about him. And that, in that hour of terrible trauma and terror and pain, he said, Lord, remember me. Just remember me. Would you keep me on your mind today? And Jesus said, today, you're going to be with me in heaven. I'm with you and you're with me. I'm not going to forget you. I'll not forget you. We sometimes feel forgotten, don't we? Forsaken, alone. You can pray that prayer, just three words. Lord, remember me. And he will. Lord Acton was a British military man on the eve of a great battle. A Christian man, and he wrote this prayer about the coming day and the battle that would ensue. And he said, Dear Lord, if I do it all, forget thee. Forget me not, I pray. I'm going to be busy Monday. I'm going to be busy tomorrow, Lord. Remember me. And he says, I'll be with you. Isaiah wrote it, God inspired it. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. And that word engraved in the original means tattooed. God says, I've got you tattooed on my hands. You can't get away from me. I have you in my hands. And underneath are the everlasting arms and encompassing you are the hands of the Lord with your name tattooed right in the middle. He'll remember you. Lord, remember me. And then finally, the story well known of the prodigal son. The young man who got impatient at home and decided he wanted to leave. And he prayed the prayer that is permissible to pray because Jesus told us to ask him for the things that we're needing and that we're conscious of, even though, as he said, he already knows what they are. The young man came to his father and he said, Father, give me. Give me what I have coming and I want to leave. Father, give me. It's all right to pray that prayer as long as what we're praying for is consistent with the will of God. Unfortunately, the desire of the prodigal was not consistent with the will of God, but I want you to notice this. The father gave it to him anyway. Let me tell you, God will give you what you want. If you want the far country, he'll not handcuff you to the front door. He'll not shackle you at the house. You can leave. The Bible says he will give you the desires of your heart. If you desire the far country, you can go there. His Holy Spirit will follow you. His love will follow you. His grace will reach out to you. But you can go. One of the 
frightening things about being created as free moral agents is that we have a choice and God will let us act out that choice. Gimme, and I'm going. He got it and he went and he got out there and the more he did what he liked, the less he liked what he did. And I understand that. The more he did what he liked, the less he liked what he did. And he finally ended up in the pig pen. You know the story, made up a speech, going to go home. He said, my goodness, they're eating better. The farmhands are eating better at home than I am here in this pig pen. I'm going home. So he worked up a, a speech and he had a little prayer in it, had a request in it. And he started home, memorizing his speech. And when he was a great way off, his father saw him and ran down the road. And in this parable recorded in the 15th chapter of Luke, we have a picture of God. For Jesus is showing us here what God's like. The hero of the story is not the boy. The hero of the story is the father. The hero of the story is God. God's the hero of the Bible. And he was running down the road to meet his son coming home. And the boy had a speech to make. Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. And I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. Make me a slave. The father interrupted him. his speech, didn't even let him finish. He said, bring a robe and put it on and put shoes on his feet and a ring on his finger. He's not coming home as a slave. He's coming home as a son. And he came home praying the prayer, make me. So anytime you ask God, give me along with it, say, oh God, make me to be the kind of person that will use what you give me in a way that will honor you and bless other people. Make me, God, make me, Buckner Fanning, a better man, a better husband, a better father, a better grandfather, a better servant of the Lord. Make me to be a better, better man of prayer. Help me to be a better communicator of your word. That ought to be the prayer of every one of us in this room who professes to be a follower of the Lord. Not just, Lord, give me my goodness, look at what he's already given us. He's poured out abundant blessings upon us more than upon any people in the face of the world and in the history of the, of the universe. Look at us. He's given us bountiful blessings. Our prayer ought to be not so much, Lord, give me, give me, give me, but oh God, make me, make me, make me, make me. And prayer will help do that. Prayer will do it. Lord, save me. Lord, remember me. Lord, make me. And listen to some people and see some people because they're going to speak to you in the Spirit of God today about the power of prayer to change life, to change a church, and to change a world. Look and listen. As I think about the fifth anniversary of the prayer room and the prayer ministry at our church, I'm reminded of how it, it forms a bridge between man's needs and God's resources. We have seen so many things that have come about through the prayer ministry and through the prayers of the church body. So I don't know of anything more important for a healthy church than to have a group of praying church members. We have seen during the past five years how many exciting things have occurred because people have been faithful and people have prayed. Not only that, but the difference that the intercessors and the substitutes see in their own lives personally because of being able to pray for other people, because of being able to pray specifically for our church and its needs. When I walk in the room and see boxes and boxes of cards with people's names on them, each one representing variety and intensity of needs. I walk over to the board 
the names of many people who are facing life and death situations. And me to be in the room, uh, a representative of the church, to express our Christian love and concern to the great physician, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's a very humbling experience. And it's been a highlight of, of, of our week, a high point of our spiritual pilgrimage. And I think really a very integral and important part of our church relationship. Over the past five years, we have taken in over 20,000 prayer requests. That's a lot of requests. Uh, in addition to that, we have the request that is close to 10,000 that are from the little prayer request cards that are turned in on Sunday or sometimes mailed to us. Then we have had over 50,000 programs, notes of encouragement that have been mailed out to people. And the exciting thing about that is how many of those people respond back to us with a note saying, thank you for praying for me. I had no idea that somebody I didn't even know would care and would pray about me. That is part of the blessing of being part of the prayer ministry. One way that I think the prayer ministry has helped our church is to increase all of our vision. Uh, the people who call in have a visible reminder of the prayer whenever they get a prayer gram in the mail. Uh, the intercessors see visual reminders from week to week as prayer requests move from the urgent board to the answered prayer board. And I think as our church, we see God's vision better for our church if we look for His guidance and His will first through prayer, that our path will be clearer and our ways will be more direct. Because God already knows what is going to happen. God already knows, for instance, the direction that this church needs to take. Uh, he knows the direction that I need to take in my ministry. So when I pray, I know it's not a matter of changing God, but what I have found is that prayer changes me. Well, after being in the hospital for nine months with leukemia, uh, up and down through all sorts of crises, it seemed like every week there was a new crisis, what really helped me get through uh, each one and our family uh, was knowing that there were so many people, people praying for us. You know, this is a bowl full of uh, the many prayers that we had over uh, the nine-month period. Uh, these were stacked on a night table, and all I had to do, and sometimes all I could do, was look at those prayers that were physically there on the table knowing the, the many, many people that were behind them out there praying for me. I, I absolutely do not see how a person could, um, could live with any sense of joy and peace without a, a strong prayer life. Because, you know, Terry's name appeared on the prayer request week after week, month after month, and um, several months on end. And, and people didn't give up. They just continued. And um, I think God blesses people who persevere in prayer. And there are so many calls we get of people who can't uh, even form, formulate even sometimes their requests because they are just in pain or dealing with so many issues. And so to be able uh, to lift them up in prayer and then at the end of the prayer they feel such a peace they kind of threw the book away in terms of treatment and just tried everything. Uh, and you could say in that situation that I, I didn't have a prayer. 
but I had all the tr prayers of Trinity. There were times when I did not have my own prayer because I couldn't speak, uh, because I was paralyzed, because I was in a coma because of the chemotherapy drugs. Uh, but even though I didn't have my prayer, I had the prayers of the people that wrote these programs. And so there were many a night in the hospital where I would lift my arms up and groan, very much like in many of the Psalms, with no words of my own, but the, the words of the prayer intercessors of Trinity and many other places for me. And so you're never without a prayer. My Jesus, I love Thee, I know Thou art mine. For Thee all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious my Savior art Thou. If ever I love Thee, my Jesus, tis now. I love Thee because Thou hast first loved me. disciples to pray saying our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen
Dear Lord, in this time when our hearts have been made fresh by your Spirit and made us aware that all that we are and have comes from you, we come to pray and to praise. We come to pray to you and to thank you and to praise your name for your blessings to us. And I pray, Father, for any in this room who maybe for the first time need to say, Lord, save me. Or some to come saying, Lord, remember me. I'm coming to be a part of the life of this church. I want to be a part of a praying, accepting, loving congregation. Or some to come saying, Lord, make me to be what you want me to be in the life of this church, to do what you want me to do. So, dear Lord, in these moments of prayer and invitation, bless, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. I'm going to ask you to do something different. I'm going to ask all the deacons to take the lead and to come stand along either side here, facing the window, facing that symbolic representation of Christ with his outstretched arms, saying, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will call all men unto me. Let's come to him today in a fresh commitment of prayer and devotion. Deacons leading the way. If you're sitting with your families, come. Your families, come. If you'd like to come and kneel, as many did in the earlier service, come and kneel. Kneel here at the front by the front pew. To come, to come as families together, as some did. To come and stand, to kneel, or to be where you are. It's comfortable for you just to turn around and kneel there in the pew where you may be seated now. Do that. I know it's difficult for some to kneel. You can be seated, but we're going to take a time for prayer. And during this time, I'll be right here in the center. If you're coming to trust Christ as your Savior, if you're coming to give your heart and your life to Him in rededication, recommitment, coming to say, I want to be a part of this church, I'll be here to greet you and to welcome you. We're going to pray. There, here, come as God gives you the impression from the crowd on the balcony, wherever you might be, if we fill these aisles all the way to the back, we'll be standing in prayer. For we're all standing in the need of prayer. Let's stand. Let's pray. The crowd will sing. Deacons lead the way. I'll be here to greet you. You come. Let's come. 